that's the record button. Have we started? We have started. So this is the Meat for Tea cast. You might always start like that. Who knows? Hey, everybody. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Meat for Tea cast season five. Episode 14. Crazy. Already 14. I'm Mark Ellen Miller. <laughs> that means I must be Elizabeth McDuffie. Welcome. Welcome and enjoy it. We are interrupting our Pushcart nominee series of episodes to bring you a very special live event that we just had to record because it's so cool. We had to get it into your ears. Yeah. Dave Dersham does a second Sunday's event in Northampton at... Ana Bandiera. Yes, Ana Bandiera, which is... Beautiful Brazilian patisserie, chocolatier, coffee shop. Sandwich shop. Sandwich and soups, too. Um, Yeah. Their chocolate is glorious, and they are not a sponsor of this podcast yet. (laughs) But their their chocolate is is wonderful, and it's, it's so simple. There's no soy lecithin. There's just absolutely no nonsense in it. It's cacao, sugar, cocoa butter, period. We got a bar of their 70% dark chocolate and it's, mm. you can really taste the difference yeah. when chocolatiers don't resort to emulsifiers and yeah, soy. It's really, really spectacular stuff. So, so, so good. Yeah, so Dave runs this second Sunday's at... Um, it's like a salon, right? Yeah, and he, it's usually him playing his music. His, uh, he's a really great singer-songwriter, as you'll find out in a few minutes. And he usually has a guest uh, that he either... I'm not sure if he does that every time he plays back and forth, but in this particular case, his guest was Kim Keon. Who we have published mm-hmm. on multiple occasions. And so they had a back and forth conversation with her poetry and his music, and it was just terrific. Now, I gotta say... The recording is very, um, it's very much like you're sitting in the cafe, audio-wise. Mm-hmm. You can even hear the rude people that are insistent upon talking over the poet. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit, a bit of and that. And they were impervious to me looking daggers right at them. And this look has withered other people to dust, so I'm not sure. They must have special powers of which I'm unaware. Yeah, I mean, I said, I said it then and I'll say it now. Is, you know, to be fair, it's a cafe that's open to the public, so... Obviously, people have a, a right to, you know, have a conversation. They're not there for the performance. Do you need to sit six feet away? Yeah. Or do you need to maybe just have no sense of situational awareness? And I'll leave it at that. There's other noises. You know, there's the, the, the cappuccino machine, the espresso machine hissing away in the background. I managed to get rid of most of the uh, rumbling of the air conditioner, which was really quite incessantly loud. Couldn't have been air conditioner, right? Well, the air handler, yes. The, yeah, because it was plenty cool out. Yeah, the, the heating system, but it was running nonstop the entire time. I'm quite a loud fan at that. But I think largely a really fun experience that uh, you're going to enjoy. You're, you are. You're going to love it. Should we do a little bit of housekeeping? Tiny bit of housekeeping. As you all probably know, all the very best ways to support us can be found on our website at meatfortea.com. That is M-E-A-T-F-O-R-T-E-A.com. There you will find ways to subscribe to Meet for Tea, the arts and literary journal, quarterly. That's one of the very, very best ways to support us Mm -hmm. is to become a subscriber. You can also buy individual copies, both in print and in PDF. 
There is our Patreon page, and we are getting ready to bring you some more special stuff for the Patreon side. Yeah, probably Uh, about a week after this drops, actually, yeah. Live recording of John Shire giving another fantastic reading, this time at Emily Williston Library. It's 45 minutes of of not just him reading, but also him talking about his process and his ideas. And setting up his poems beautifully. It's a wonderful experience. Yeah, it's it's really enjoyable and informative, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. You'll also find our spring store where we are running a special free shipping with the, I never remember the name for it, BOBA is the It's a discount code code for free shipping. Discount code, B-O-B-A, which is also the theme of the upcoming issue, which will be released on March 9th at Le Cirque de Mer à Vélo, which will be at Abandoned Building Brewery. In old sunny East Hampton. Seven o'clock. Mm-hmm. We have art on exhibit from wonderful cartoonist Casey Green, who's fantastic. We have films. We're reprising some films by Luke Yeager, so circuit attendees who missed them the first time, be excited. They're worth they're worth reprising. He's a brilliant filmmaker. Yeah. And we have two bands, a new project of Jenna Lloyd of East Hampton fame and East Hampton Savings Band and many other bands. This one's called Mother Sasha and also Le Drelu. I probably mangled that because I didn't listen to um, Google <laughs> Translate, but I better had of saying be, it. Better than me trying. I just called it. Because I did Le Drelu. Something got, like that. Yeah, yeah, it's got a heart. R. I just call them the derailers and leave it at that, which they um, are fine with as well. It's a, it's going to be a wonderful night. Yeah, they're great. Rock, art on exhibit, films, spoken word as always. Local people that I'll have published. And this will be in celebration of what? The 18th anniversary of Meet for <laughs> Tea. It is 18 years old. Got reviews. We do. We have some new reviews. Yeah, we've got reviews. Yeah. Got a few of them. I know there was one. From Daniel McGinn, who's actually the co-author of um, "Fill Me with Birds," yeah. a collaborative project he did with Scott Ferry, which you want to get your hands yeah, on. It's a book we put out, but he reviewed our last episode with James Mushinets, and he writes, "This might be my favorite podcast in the series of little rabbit holes of poetry, art, and conversation that make up McDuffie's Meat for Tea podcast." I also learned how to cure diaper rash without spending a penny. Oh, right, right, right. You'll have to listen for that. There's a lot of good advice in this one. Yeah, there is. There's a lot of a lot of really interesting stuff. I want to thank Death by DVD again for always leaving us consistent five-star reviews. And I think we have some other... Yeah, this is. there's also a new review from Jeff Weddle. The Meat for Tea cast never fails to delight. Long live the small press. Long live meat for tea. Oh, thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Dana. It's great. We have lived long. 18 years. <laughs> 18 it's time years. for meat for tea to start earning some money. You can help it earn money. <laughs> Go to that donate page. Advertise in meat for tea. Full page ad will give you a baked in ad spot for a full cycle of our quarterly journals. We Three months on this very podcast. Yep, yep. We'll read your ad on every episode for the entire time that is the relevant issue. 
We have a new review from Peter Erkowitz on our episode we did with John Amherst on his book we released, People and Other Bad Ideas. And Peter says, excellent conversation and great poetry. And a review from Jeffrey Feingold on the same podcast. <laughs> Wonderful podcast. Host always asks insightful questions. Guests are invariably charming. Yes, I speak to a charming... I have to agree. Charming group of people. That's it for the new reviews. Thank you, guys. Keep them coming. And we really want to knock our socks off. Send us a voice memo with you reading your review. We'll play it right here on the Meet for Tea cast. Do it in song if you're feeling so inclined. That would be great. Do it. All right. Shall we talk into this? We shall. All right. And here's Kim and David. See you local folks at the Cirque. Welcome to the Anna Bandera's second Sunday series. My name is Dave Dershin. Uh, with me as the guest, I generally have a guest, is uh, Kim Keo, poet extraordinaire. And um, we're going to do some poetry. We're going to alternate from poetry and song in a way that they work as some kind of couplet, we hope. Uh, my friend Sarah Eddy and I will Valentine's be here. Day. Yeah, it is Valentine's Day week. Check, yeah. check. Check, check, check. Uh, Sarah Eddy and I are going to be doing the same thing in May. Yeah. Very similar. And she's at the back. We'll talk to her about Sarah? that. Hello, Sarah. Check, Where's check. Sarah? Check, check, check. All right, well, thank you for being here. Um, you want to start it off? All right. Let's do it. Working class bars and saloons between the late 1800s and the beginning of prohibition were the domain of men, a place to escape the demands of both work and family. The presence of women was a potential threat to their enjoyment of male camaraderie and their sense of masculinity. This is why in so many bars of this period, women were required to enter through a separate door marked with a sign reading, Ladies' Entrance, and had to drink in a room in the back of the building in Philadelphia, as in other American cities, a handful of Ladies' Entrance signs remain intact today. Ladies' Entrance, a high bun. We pack into the yellow Dodge Dart, my father, my mother, my brother, and me. Sun's still out, so summer, maybe fall. Memory doesn't serve like my mother in her thin polyester. Sue, here to serve you. Her name tag reads. We pull in to the parking lot of the brand new steakhouse and drop her at the kitchen door around back. Then we drive to the bar. Freshly laid asphalt, two-dimensional universe, crushed waste glass glitters. Ladies' entrance, a bygone sign above the bar where we enter. Decades of dirt has hurt its rusted joints that churr with every flaw. I ask my dad about it. He gives me his usual half-baked, half-accurate answer. We aren't little anymore, my brother and me. We're medium done, a little pink. 
A slapdash maturity has given me at least the nose of a sommelier, notes of sour beer, stale smoke, the sediment of puke lingering on the tongue like the future. A late supper, Bachman's pretzels, those salty Siamese siblings knobbed together at the center. I often take the pretzel with the extra bit because I'm older and I can. <laughs> the flat, sweet Coke washes it down, but it does not make it better. A quarter wheeled in, jukebox, bells, whistles, neon. Yes, I am the great pretender. Men at the bar, and a woman or two. I tell time like an ancient without a, without a sundial, observing the room darken around the black and white TV screen above the bar. Waste of hours. But there was a time when I used to love them, and that ladies' room in my father's favorite bar. I made believe it was my apartment. I lived in it, everything my size, the width of the doorway, the diminutive sink, the toilet so close to the floor, square footage, four or five, like me. I was not playing house. This was my house. My micro bathroom had black iron trim, which I adored. But where? Cannot remember. Only that I was the gatekeeper who would let no one in. Old linoleum, green glade patterns of nature, daisies, air freshener. Me food. You know she bought me 
Many dubious dreams, and she said, Hi, Bam. You might be here. Bet you better not be one of them goddamn jerks bewildered by her wife. She said, I just know that you gotta come home. So we danced beneath the dream of star. What the hell, why not? You gotta look in my right. She cried a lot. She said, God damn. That's it. I don't even care anymore. I care, care. I'm scrutinizing that white cow on that sweater. She said, I don't know if I can tell this piece of crap is coming out at open mics and, and um, when he asked me to do this I started to gather up all my material all my poems everything I had so I could look at it you know it really gave me an opportunity to see what I had and see what categories and um, I was horrified and, and delighted to um, find that most of my categories were either um, unrequited love or sex so um, <laughs> Which I don't have any of those. And, yeah, so I'm, I'm filling in the gaps here. Um, yeah, so... Mine are about death and, and animals. Uh, so yeah, so horrified because according to my Catholic upbringing, that makes me like a perverted loner. <laughs> it's two categories. 
um, and delighted because I think that um, there's a lot of artists right here in the audience that know that those two subjects are often the topic, so I feel like I'm in good company as well. Um, the first poem that I read to you is, I mentioned it was a high bun, I just want to say a word about that. Um, because it's uh, something, it's a form that I've been really working at this year and um, I have three of them for you that I'm thinking of that I've been working on as a triptych of high bonds. And what they are um, is this really cool combination of prose, poetry, and haiku. And um, so, I, uh, or, or the Holy Trinity, which is the, the title, the prose, poetry, and, and the haiku. Um, so, I read that first one, Ladies' Entrance to You, and I have two more that kind of go along with it. Um, the other category that showed up a lot <laughs> was um, the, the uh, dysfunction of Irish Catholic working class families, and uh, which I happen to know a lot about. Um, so, this next one um, is also about fathers. All his life, my father wanted to be bold. This is after Raymond Carver's poem, Photograph of my father in his 22nd year. Carver. He shattered the surface of fathers who fish with a reel in his writing hand and liquor quivering in the other. The not so solid stone figure is cast and from this I recover my dad. In swim trunks shimmering like foil for every 1950s beach hunk. He sits a squint at the end of a sandlot, smirk tipped way back like a cowboy hat. All his life, my father wanted to be bold, but the eye of the lens gives him away, captures his knees knocking into his chest, ice chest packed with beers and a sweat. Precipitation I would learn to wipe away to soak up, to pour down the drain. This is a fairly new song uh, I wrote about my stepdad, who he died about uh, six years ago. Yeah, coming up on six and a half. So it took me a while to finish this song, as you might imagine, but here it is. And. Um, I guess one thing to know is that in a rather obscure component to the song is the uh, 40th wedding anniversary, which has emblems, like, you know, I don't know if it's a ruby, but for the flower, it's the gladiolus. So that's the, uh, the flower you present to your loved one at the 40th anniversary. The song's called Gladiolus. Centennial took a team that's out of all. She fancied him. Then in the drinking, the salt and the air, the sun gathering a lavender bouquet. Got us a house right next to the golden board. 
fumbling the football all over the nose. Don't see much these days. Still thinking about that Yeah, We're listening to the bobbing Oreo. Yeah, she was a lady in the 70s, mom. Fables of the burning bra. The fabulous, the flower for 40 years intertwined, though they did not quite get, get to the gladiolas. There's always never been enough time. Kept working the bones in his refinery. Melting scrap metal into pools. Selling ingots by the bay. The market's gonna live another day. Cycling before it was cool. Yeah, he was riding high that gravy train. But most horizons of mirage Competition from top head Them golden bricks are washing away It almost seems like Sabotage Yeah, she was raging Seventies mom Fables of the burning rod Not at all mechanical Though she cared for us and other little animals Gladiola Emblem of the Ruby Valentine But they did not quite get Get to the Gladiola There's always never been enough time Flowers 
Presentation of that for me. Right. Um, it right. is a classical Renaissance piece of art, kerplunked right in the middle of Cumberland Farms. It, it's based on a true um, experience I had, a little encounter. Not just truish, but true. Truish, true, very true. <laughs> um, and I'm dedicating it to a colleague of mine. I uh, I was working on it, uh, and uh, my G my I uh, work in high school, I'm a GSA advisor, and. A co-advisor listened to it, and when I finished, he said, you have to call that David in Cumberland. I was like, Mr. Roy, you have just earned yourself a dedication. <laughs> so this is David in Cumberland for Ben Roy. I had to take a wicked pee just outside of P-Town, cursed myself for having stopped for that coffee, the culprit, at a subpar Cumbies, two towns back. Easton does a much better Cumberland. A veritable cathedral compared to that dingy franchise. I needed gas besides, so I pulled off Route 6, and under my breath sang that middle-aged madrigal, don't pee, don't pee, don't pee. I sang it all the way to the doors of Cumberland, which slid open sans my touch, broadcasting a bronze glow upon the backs of my fellow pilgrims, in whose unevenly tanned arms were cradled frescas and bugles and grinders ready to eat. I followed the sign to my assigned silhouette, reached for the knob whose chartreuse crescent read vacant, and reader, I believed it. Had it read, take the red pill, I would have swallowed it. I had to go that bad. But the door stuck, so I, I, I leaned on it, broke in just in time to catch a glimpse of him, a buck-naked boy, in a pose Michelangelo could have gotten behind, probably Da Vinci and Botticelli too. He was taut, chiseled, hewed, though his right knee, in a firm contraposto, denied me the full view. In his left hand, held high above his head, not a slingshot, but his cell phone about to take a selfie of his sex. <laughs> Fuck, sorry. God, he was so beautiful. We both took in breath, but with ever, without ever taking his eye off the eye of his iPhone, he reached up with his free hand and slammed the door in my stunned lesbian face. 
With no GPS to direct me where I should look next, I speed cycled up to the nearest gondola shelf full of stuff, my pelvic floor having been shocked into fortitude. I became fascinated by the juxtaposition of motor oil and baked beans. My marbled legs heavy, my guilt and, and shame heavier, I apologized in my head to every gay man I have ever known that it had been me who broke in and not one of them. When he emerged from the ladies' room in his goth veil of sweatpants and tea, not one traveler recognized him for the high Renaissance piece of art he was. Reader, I followed him out. I slid my debit card down the magnetic strip, pumped gas as I studied him, observing how he pranced and posed weaved in and out amid the army of Cumberland's cement phalli, touching the tip of each with one aquamarine fingernail. This fine, gentle boy, this boy chick. So sure was I then he must be dreaming of when he would put his clothes off again, when Jonathan would pull up in his convertible jag and tell him, get in, whisper unto him, Whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. It was trouble, trouble. I know it seems like a bit of a stretch, but hey now, what the heck to I feel like a tiny lama. Ah, ah. It's like Bora Bora. Hello, Dan. Hello, Dan. It's so nice to get back. Hello, Doll then dressed me up, I got a delicious date With a dreaming Danish darling, you know I better not be late She's requesting musical advice Drumming on a guitar, Says she may ask me for 
a little more. I know it seems like a bit of a stretch, but hey now, what the heck did I, I feel like We have Elizabeth McDuffie and Mark Allen Miller here from our very, very wonderful local uh, literary journal called Meat for Tea, the Valley Review. And um, um, I think there are a couple of us that have uh, pieces. Uh, I, I have a poem and some photography. So thank you both for, for making art happen in the valley. And also, they've added now, as if they didn't have enough work to do, since they do the whole thing by themselves, uh, a podcast called Meet for Tea Podcast. So we're here live on Meet for Tea Podcast. <laughs> and one more thing, um, in case you're interested, right outside here, the door. There. Um, we, there's some wares to be had. So if you're interested in the kind of uh, literary work that Meet for Tea does, there are a couple journals some of the published authors that they have um, published, um, and some information about if you are a business owner or uh, or or an artist in any way that would like to, or yes, or um, that want to be involved, um, how to get in touch. So thank you again for being here. Um, last Sunday was it last Sunday? Because it feels like about eight months ago. Sunday. Yeah, um, we uh, and some friends uh, went to see uh, On a Winter's Night at uh, Bombex, and uh, that's Cliff Eberhardt and uh, John Gorka and Patty Larkin and Lucy Kopansky. Um It was wonderful. It was really wonderful. And Gorka, Gorka did uh, a song that the whole audience seemed to know and sang along with. It was I'm from New Jersey, and um, it, it was a great song. Um, and uh, so we came away um, with uh, the understanding that maybe all artists have a song or poem about New Jersey. We do, um, and um, poor New Jersey, <laughs> they're an easy target. Um, so, oh, thank you, thank you. Thank you, little Tui. <laughs> and, um, so here's mine. Uh, it's entitled Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday. Need a miracle? A blinking neon sign, everything will be fine. Come on down to the galaxy on a Sunday morning. You're dead, praising those who have risen from armchairs to don their finest J.C. Penny, who claim to luck Lotto and their lord with equal ferocity who keep it all locked up in shiny, alarmed cars like tabernacles shoved above visors, magnetized, bobble-headed, who amble en masse through the entrance of this diner on the Black Horse Pike, 
pastel happy, like a string of My Little Ponies. Let them believe for you when you can't even. Cross your fingers for a booth the length of a pew. Let it swallow you like the Eucharist. Order your scrambled eggs and grits and from that fat-lipped mug, sip your bitterness. Bear the Judas kiss, blood red that the dishwasher missed. Ask for the caddy again of jelly and jam. Choose only strawberry. Remove four, one for each white triangle burnt on one side, like your own flawed thinking. Forgive yourself, forgive your family, forgive everybody. And when your eyes pool with hot sauce tears, let them chew your food slowly. When Florence, swear to God that's her name, comes by with regular, nod at her, because you really do want more, even though you have drunk so much already. Stack your dishes for Florence, so she can whisk them away like the goddess Oster chasing the first full moon of spring. But for the love of God, do not ask what the damage is. Christ, let it go already. Winter's over, for now, already. And Florence, she will only roll her eyes when she turns away. Just pay what you owe. Tell her to keep the change. Extra gratuity, say, for taking up space in her station with your notepad and sunglasses, your sackcloth and ashes. Tell her thank you. Thank you, Flo, when she winks at you and says, come back again soon, baby. Hinterlands of Jersey Well I bet you did not know That when the moonbeams Oh sugar sand The world Like a dream You may have had before But my father Over Your silent trigger door You see a sea of trees It's small and all the same Forget your name under the pine bearing Let me lead you down where I'll pine for Clean the water You and I will be sharing the pine bearing The wells are all water cold Labyrinth rivers of tea Drop from the tannins of the old oak leaves Spill your boat down the bank Over the end of a bank To the heron all bronze and green She spears a fish Darts away Funneling in between The pine barren Let me lead you down We're all pining for Clean water The orchid Bobcat The cranberries The well 
cross, what a cold Everybody bit dark as the Garden State. You know their ample governor. Yeah, he likes to shut things down. But the Jersey Devil, he found a governor's campfire. Single malted arguments resounded. Though neither one would win the other over. They shed their skin by morning, they were found Wandering pine bearing Let me lead you down, we're all pining for clean water Find the bog mines of the pine bearing The wells are all Water I'm Let me lead you down where I'll find clean water. With you, I will be sharing the pine bearing. The world's Water cold. So this next piece is the second um, of the triptych of high buns and um, a little bit about tide pools. Formed in depressions along the shoreline of rocky coasts, tide pools are filled with seawater that gets trapped as the tide recedes. While these small basins at the ocean's edge typically range from mere inches to a few feet deep and a few feet across, they are packed with sturdy sea life such as snails, barnacles, mussels, anemones, urchins, sea stars, crustaceans, seaweed, and small fish. As ocean water retreats outside the tide pool during low tide, the resident marine life must endure hours exposed to the sun, low oxygen, increasing water temperature, and predators, such as wading birds that specialize in dining these shallow pools. Tide Pool, 1967. My mother perches on the edge of my, my grandmother's stiff couch sitting on her hands, legs crossed at the ankles, flawless in her pantyhose. She pulled them out that morning from one broken open egg. She's pregnant but doesn't know it. My grandmother leans forward from her wing back to tell my mother how a potato tree has grown up from her compost heap, all grounds and shells. My mother laughs obligatorily. So rare to hear her laugh at all. At three, the length of me fits precisely against her back. I press my ear hard between her scapulae like some busybody neighbor without a drinking glass. Thrilled to hear her underwater voice, better than her silence. I pretend she is talking to me. 
To get any place, we take buses because my mother has never learned to drive. This bus, bulging with nine to fivers, scent of winter wool, confections of sweat, yesterday's hoagie. Cigarette smoke circulates in waves like with every sideways waddle down the aisle, every collapse into a seat, that awkward grab for the exit cord. An old man winks into my mother's breasts as he stands to give her his seat. Her knees, pincers, clasp me, and we fall in. She recites a line of Emily, and I swim out, doggy paddle back, the bone of it in my mouth, the bone by bone of it. The bus lurches in its city traffic, a syncopated stop-start that rocks us. My mother says, again, blue crabs shrouded in seaweed, gulls hover. song of the seven to do a break. We'll be right back. Heron went on a run underneath the island sun. Did not know, no, did she really care where she was going? their own particular song. He's quite an athlete despite the expanse of his big feet. He and she are drifting down into the sounds of the sea. Behold the blue, the beige, the green. Their mother's hair is blonde. She fries up of that rice that was once in a terraced pond. She's been coming out here for more than 47 years. She and he and she are drifting down into the sounds of the sea. Watch them now drifting down into Something they have already found Please a little longer I'm longing to cradle into the burn The burn of summer She flew out today in her broad-brimmed hat We had to pry her from L.A. Blackberries, cellular phone You know that woman, she knows no time zone Steve-o, he came out He instigates, he imitates, you know you only 
Bring along a certain sort of spontaneity And she and he are drifting down Into the sounds of the sea Watch them now Dipping down into something They have already found Please a little longer I'm longing to cradle into the burn Burn up summer Please a little longer Don't want to pull down The shade of some summer There you go. It's really, if you haven't had Anna Bandero's chocolate, don't die without having Anna Bandero's chocolate. <laughs> and, um, and also, tip your waiters and bartender. Just always wanted to say that. But really, they, there's a tip jar up there, and um, we'll be back in a couple minutes. Thank you. And we'll be back in just a moment. And welcome back. Okay, everybody, we're going to start our second set. Thanks for being here. Really, thank you. Thank you for being here. Give yeah. yourself a round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't had a chance to uh, offer us a tip. The tip is above the creme, creme brulee over there. That's where the tip tray is. So. Uh, we're going to have another 45-minute set, and uh, after that, I don't think these guys, these guys are closing until 8.30. Or at least, uh, maybe it's a little early on Sunday, I can't remember. Anyway, uh, thanks for being here, and I'll give you Kim Keo. One of the first uh, poems that I was enamored with in high school, besides Robert Frost and Emily Dickinson, was a... Um, metaphysical poet by the name of Andrew Marvell, I'm sure some of you probably know him and his work. Um, his most famous poem is to his coy mistress. And it's basically, um, it's an argument that he's trying to convince a young woman to go to bed with him. And um, I'm not sure I had that all in high school, but what I did love, <laughs> love about the poem was this couplet in it that um, is, uh, goes as follows, it's, the grave is a fine and private place, but none, I think, do there embrace. And I just thought, wow, that I, you know, I think I always felt a lot older than I was. Um, and so I understood that, that uh, carpe diem thing, you know, like do it now because who knows what's coming, the second shoe. Um, but, I would have to say, as I matured as a person and a poet, um, I started to, to read it for what it was. Now, he was um, a sat, a, he did a lot of satire, so we have to give him that. But um, 
I, I began to have a little trouble with uh, this poem, and uh, uh, a lot of it was because of what I learned later of, you know, Brit Britain, British colonization, and um, the speaker's love interest is uh, on her side of the Ganges, so we're talking about a colony, and um, I just started getting pissed off <laughs> at Andrew. Um, <laughs> So I, when I started out writing this, that's one of the beauties, I think, of writing, uh, whatever you're writing, poetry, fiction, journal entries, if you're, um, if you're in it, if you're in the present tense and the moment and you're writing and you're not really, it's not you, it's coming for you, you have to just kind of go with what's, what's coming and, um, and you really don't know uh, the trajectory. I didn't when I started this. Um, so. This has um, definitely references to Andrew, um, and also to uh, my mom, again, um, who, uh, who you'll see, and also um, to uh, the history, this was the surprise, I guess, for me, um, the history of breast augmentation. It's called Marvels. I'm trying sincerely to work out the math. 200 years to adore each breast. Marvelous flattery. But was that 17th century bard calculating his arithmetic by division or by times x? That is to say, was he drawing a line like cleavage between two breasts and two centuries? offering 100 years worth of attention to the right and to the left. Breasts belonging likely to a child, cornered, colonized, unimpressed, but paralyzed on the edge of her Ganges. Or was Marvell multiplying, promising to gaze 200 years at each perky prodigy, in which case we should expect to find him feeling up that euphemism, adore, 58 years more. Empty Promises, part one of his strategy, if, but, therefore, and what girl hasn't had to endure that slimy syllogism before she's ready, before she's 20, when her breasts already no longer belong to her, appropriated by media, by medicine, by memory. I don't know for mothers, I am not one, but I had one who wanted to breastfeed me when I was born. But her nurse would not put me in my mother's arms because it was 1964, and corporate America had just stormed the maternity ward like a horde of frat boys crashing a house party, arms full of formula in baby bottles ready to feed. My mother had told me the story before, but she told it to me again in the hospital room we ended up in 30 years later just after her oncologist subtracted one breast from her chest, the one she had fed me with, she said, through a deep haze of morphine. She waited too long. The story went like this. Her nurse, starched white, twiggy thin, paper skiff pinned to her head, sailed in and said formula was where it was at, even as my mother wept, even as her breasts wept. And it was not until her, an elder nurse, having heard my mother's sobs, roared in and said, give this woman her child right now, 
that the starched white nurse did. And so that was how I came to suckle my first breast. It would not be my last. Because I'm a lesbian, and breasts, well, they figure in. You know, in case there are still people, by which I mean men, wondering what we do in bed, I can tell you what we don't do, what we would never do. We would not waste 200 years admiring a breast. Not even a Lauren Hutton breast. Lesbians, we got shit to do. Softball games to win, tea to drink, straight women to recruit, cats to collect. And further, out, hyperbole hurts. As anyone knows who's had their nipples sucked at one second longer than necessary, the kind of latching on that forces you to swat the top of your lover's head like a cat. Stop that, stop that. The heteromaniac and poet Sharon Olds wrote a poem about her breasts, likening them to identical twins, soaking sirens, creatures of ignorant suffering. And I'm down with all that. Metaphors both apt and preferable to the names breasts have been given, like rack, mamas, girls, bosoms, knockers, boobies, bazookas, boobs, hooters, melons, globes, bazooms, jugs, tits, titties, cans. Cans, really cans? As in tin, as in pails to collect milk in, why not Heidi's then? Or better yet, Nipperkin's, who hasn't gotten a little drunk on them. Though I suppose if one ponders the substratum breasts have been filled with since the 19th century, perhaps something like chainmail is in order. In 1889, the good doctor Robert Gersony, father of cosmetic surgery, injected paraffin and Vaseline into his patient's breasts, which were augmented for a minute, disastrous for the rest of her short life. And in 1895, Dr. Vincenzo Zerni transplanted fat, a benign fatty tumor taken from the woman's own back, into her breast, replacing the cancerous one he had just removed. But oh, they were just getting started, those quacks. Here's what else they've implanted. Ivory, glass balls, ground rubber, snake venom, ox cartilage, terraline wool, beeswax, gutta percha, a kind of latex excavated from a Malaysian rainforest, polyethylene chips, goat milk, polyvinyl alcohol formaldehyde, polymer sponges, polystand strips wound into a ball. Think Boredom, think rubber bands. Polyester celastic rubber. Teflon silicone prosthesis. Tupperware for breasts. And in 1964, the first saline implants, salt water, breasts as ocean liners, ballasts. Let's, for the sake of argument, call them Miss Barbies, after those other polyvinyl chloride girls born five years earlier sprung from the forehead of the god Mattel with their preposterous proportions, bendable knees, and zero aureoles. My mother did not opt for reconstructive surgery after her radical mastectomy. Stiff with radiation, poisoned by the thought of her imperfection and one aureole tattoo. Because she was 60, she said. I'm old, she said, 60, the same age I am now. I remained at her bedside, silenced by the immensurable, a girl sitting by the edge of her sacred river, like the one you 
Andrew Marvell constructed 400 years ago. But it was only after I left her, walked through the hospital parking lot where I loitered under her window like some 13th century troubadour, that I choked up enough courage to say what I should have sung in her ear. I shouted it instead at her sealed double-paned window, Mom, you are a warrior, a one-breasted Amazon, a miracle. I love you. But my mother, heart sick and dying since the day I met her, she was already gone. So uh, this next song is uh, was inspired by, a, I think it was an article uh, in the New York Times Magazine, it might have been a uh, video-driven article, where they had a, I think it was an urban planner, they hired an urban planner from Harvard to go to Duluth, Minnesota, to see if this was the ideal place to, to swarm toward, given global warming. It's a very cool area, and it is, it's uh, right next to the largest uh, freshwater lake in the world. So, the song is uh, inspired by that question. Mm -hmm. 
Well, back in 93, we were driving through Duluth, headed up north, hoping for the wild rice sold by the res, the, the bulky sword, white girl at the light, appearing a little deterred. I waved her through, but she barked at me, might as well give me the bird. Land of the loo, you know it's cold, cold as Mars. Up here in the loose, the stars are like golf balls. Moving up to the loo. The migrants are going global, kicking it all down the road. The merchants, the serfs, the It's uh, an ars poetica. Now, um, that's from the Latin, meaning simply art of poetry, and it's it's uh, a lot of um, a lot of writers, poets, write poetry about about their experience, how how they uh, write poetry, or how poetry should be written. This is the subject matter of ars poetica, and most of them are pretty damn serious. So I said to myself. Dave? No, that's it, Dave. <laughs> I said to myself, I think we need an artist poetica that uh, takes the piss out of itself. So um, you will not be surprised to hear that uh, the name, or the title of my poem is Big Mouth Billy Bass. Now, you remember that, that's the, um, the singing fish from 1998, right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and, uh, and Dave has um, agreed to help me take the piss out of the artist poetica. Thanks, Dave. Big Mouth Billy Bass, an R's poet. So satisfying to the ear, the sound of scissors hissing across gift wrap, thin as thin ice on a lake, like teeming life beneath. But then the fucking fulcrum cracks, unhinging those blades which only a moment before had been so elegant in their pair skating, now crude shanks. Useful when one is protecting oneself from a murderer, not so much when one is trying to give that murderer a gift. You're torn, left with one white square of paper, white as a winter whiteout. Do you give up? No. You begin again, fold upon precise fold. But don't get ahead of yourself. First, you must unbend the bed-shaped box into third dimension. Not harmonic yet, but it will suffice. You keep working, gift giver and gift, trembling like lovers, sizzling through some fantasy for which the safe word is ready. 
bow just so tied up behind the back. Here, here, take it. I got it just for you. What you got is a fish. More miraculous than the Jesus fish. Eyes in glassless, swims in air but goes nowhere. Amphibious ventriloquist sings. Take me to the river. Miltless, its plastic scales flat, but a bump. The lake ice groans. But man, this fish is funny. Fed by its plasticity, the multitudes belch up guffaw after guffaw. Proving Oscar, the poet, not the puppet, correct. If you want to tell people the truth, make them laugh. Otherwise, they will kill you. <laughs> and besides, wouldn't it feel good to be loved just a little before you are gutted and mounted, battered and homely? Just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. It gets slimy, slippery, the truth. Much messier than that bishop fish. And no one wants that. Not really. Throw it back.
So this next piece is the third uh, in the triptych of Haiwan. One Small Step for Man, 1969. The bartender, home from college for the summer, lays the maraschino cherries over the skinny glass of flat syrupy cola and slides it to the center of the bar, winking at the five-year-old who has climbed up onto the faux leather stool. He tells her if she wants to get a husband someday, she should smile more. She swivels. Cupping the cola with both hands, she maneuvers it as close to the edge as she dare, climbs down, carries it back to the shuffleboard table where her little brother waits for her. He sits against the wall on an unopened case of tall boys, his Buster Browns barely scuffing the shellac, his collection of cocktail straws scattered around him like a game of pickup sticks. Ladies' entrance. Memories like a back room, upside-down chairs on tables. At the elbow of the bar, in front of a picture window, a children's father silhouetted in dusky light and cigarette smoke, not quite film noir. There's been too much drink for that. Also, there's the problem of his polyester shirt, his name embroidered on the pocket over his heart, Frank, Frank is drunk on Rolling Rock, and the Platter's 1950s hit, Great Pretender, played over and over on the jukebox with quarters he feeds his daughter. The aluminum ashtray in front of him is a crazy clock with stubbed out arms that cannot tell time. The bartender let it, lets it fill up like the bottom of a broken hourglass, like the shuffleboard sand her little brother has just upended. He shimmies down, squats, scoops a handful, and throws it into the thick, sour air, snow in July. The volume is off on the black and white TV set above the bar, its flickering light more and more pronounced. Frank begins crooning, trilling like an alarm clock, time to go. She runs at him, tugs at his pant leg until he tips off his seat, tilting forward and back at varying degrees. She calls her little brother who teeters over. She takes his hand. She takes her father's hand. They take their first unsteady steps toward a doorway framed in hammered sheet metal. Three distorted figures float towards them and pass them as they pass through and into the night's oppressive atmosphere. Navy sky with its sharp-edged stars steam-pressed to perfection. Old moon in the arms of new moon. Crinkle your eyes and you can almost see him, the man who lives there, ashen. Daughter cells grow up on stools, American chestnut. Around your knees, scoops you up 
the matrimony of the soul and the sea. There's distant potpourri at your sweet disposal. Now think what you might do if this hullabaloo gave you some extra time. Or maybe I'll watch some more Sally, Jesse, Raphael, Titian, Michelangelo You know they all had a little bit of wine Brave new world, grab your pearl Hide them in the sand Don't you alter the altar more somehow and in this day we read uh, Jericho Brown's poem called Riddle and um, and I asked them just to choose one of the lines and um, use it as the title or, or just anything they wanted to do with it I always write with them so this is a poem um, out of that uh, morning workshop and it's from the second line of Jericho Brown's poem Riddle and it's also um, the first, it's a title and the first line of the poem. And Sarah, I still don't know what that's called. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know that there is a name. I looked. Um, of Emmett Hill, we do not know. Of Emmett Hill, we do not know his high school diploma or his high honors. The perfumed button, button ear pulled through his buttonhole. 
fast. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Even with all the high levels. Okay. Sorry. His high school diploma, his high honors, the perfumed boutonniere pulled through the buttonhole of his black silk lapel, his girl waiting at the doorway of his dreams. Of Emma Till, she says, oh, Emmett, and blushes. Of Emma Till, we do not know how long before people will begin saying about his baby boy, he's got his daddy's smile, or how proud Mr. Till is of his wife who marched in Selma those 54 miles alongside the Reverend. Of Emma Till, we do not know, his grandson, a grown man who having lost his own young son to the streets of the South Side, raises his right hand just like his son had before he was gunned down and says, I do solemnly swear, I do solemnly swear, I swear. Uh, this song is called, well, there's an there's a informal title, which is Ode to Walmart. Uh, this is what occurred in 07, the day after Thanksgiving, which we all know is a big shopping day, and sometimes people get a little too enthusiastic, so there's something about that. Stream before the dawn, Mr. Demore will open up the door. We're taking out our claim on the concrete lawn, Mr. Demore. The gathering it became a mob. Mr. Demore, he never seen this before. Demanding basement bargains from Punja. Mr. Demore. Black Friday's here once every year. Black Friday's Mr. Demore, 
shy He would not be revived Black Friday child You better run while you can Go on Sunday morning, oh, 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 oh. you better run while you can and heed every warning. Oh, oh, oh. oh, you draft of this poem to watch you prepare the shelves you are building for our books. How deftly you saw through the knots and sinew. A swatch of worn out sandpaper and drill bits lie next to hooks you'll use as anchors on our crooked wall. While above you a school of salmon leaves swim away from their tree. Against the wind, it's fall. And you know this light won't last. But you dare it to dim as you pry off that lid of stain. I cannot understand what makes you stay when I've never built you a thing as solid or useful by my own hand. Just these hills of rough-hued words which refuse to ring. I tap on the window. You startle but point to the shelves. Our moment read, then slid back to keep for ourselves. Thank you. Steady on the weed, one hand's trembling over my heart. And it's pounding big, like it's gonna bust right on through. It ain't gonna stop till I'm alone again with you. 
friend of mine became a father last night. When he spoke in his voice, I could hear the lie of the skies and the rivers, the timber wolf and the pines, and that great jukebox out on Route 39. They say he travels fast, he travels alone. But tonight I miss my girl, miss my girl. Tonight I miss my home. Is it the sound of the leaves that blown by the wayside? Gets me here on this old spooky highway tonight. Is it the cry of the river with the midnight shining through? That ain't what scares me. What scares me is losing you. If you die in your dream, you really die in your bed. But honey, last night I dreamed my eyes rolled straight back in my head. And God's light shining on through. I woke up in the darkness, scared and breathing, born anew. It wasn't the cold river bottom, I put a rushing over me. It wasn't the bitterness of the dream that didn't come true. Was the wind in the gray fields? I felt rushing through my arms. No, no, baby. Baby, it was you. So hold me close, honey. Say you're forever mine. Tell me you'll be my lonely valentine Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Anna Bandera. Yeah. All right. See you again. Thank you. Good night. All right. Wasn't that fun? That was a lot of fun. We had to take you guys to Anna Bandera with us. Even if you can't physically go to Anna Bandera, by the way, and we will put their website in our show notes. I was going to say. You can order their chocolate. Yeah, it's 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 worth it. It's it's a treat. I should also say it's not just the ingredients. Um, th- their family has owned right. this farm in um, Brazil for several generations, and um, this coffee is free trade. The chocolate. Uh, the chocolate. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's free trade. You don't have to worry about 
taking advantage of slave labor, which is a, a, an increasingly a concern when it comes to buying chocolate. And coffee. And they've grown their own cacao beans on this property for generations. It's made with love. So made with love, made fairly. This is something that I know you can buy chocolate for less, but buy chocolate that's made properly and kindly. Spend an extra dollar or two and have a clean conscience. And have a really tasty bar of chocolate. Yeah, all of the above. It's just <laughs> win, win, win. All right, so probably in about a week or so, we'll have that uh, little Patreon teaser for you here, and then we'll be back in a couple weeks with or another sooner, episode. possibly. Yeah, well, two weeks from now, probably with the next one, yeah. Yeah. All right, thanks for sticking around. See you next time. The Meat for Tea cast is produced by Elizabeth McDuffie and Meat for Tea, The Valley Review. Visit Meat for Tea at www.meatfortea.com. Please consider going to anchor.fm to make a contribution through our contribution page. You can reach us through meatforteacast at gmail.com or you can leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash meatforteacast. We welcome suggestions for contents for the Meat for Tea cast. If you've attended a Meat for Tea Cirque and want to hear from one of the bands or one of the spoken word contributors, please let us know. All portions are copyright Meat for Tea and their respective holders. Vote for Meat for Tea on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at Elizabeth. Meat for Tea on Instagram and on the Meat for Tea and Meat for Tea cast Facebook pages. Meat for Tea is available everywhere you get your favorite podcasts.